0: You're listening to the podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners or sponsors. Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between The Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Herd through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit herdpodcast.com, like Herd Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Herd Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Herd. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, Your Food, Beverage, and Hospitality Podcast. I'm Joe Hakeem, and tonight I'm joined by Nick, who is photographing me doing the introduction.
1: Well, I need to, uh, I need to document it for future reference <laughs> for when the FCC shuts us down. <laughs> this is part of the court case. <laughs> what court case? Oh, you haven't got the letter oh, yet. Shit. Oh, sorry, I should have uh, told you about it uh, after.
0: <laughs> and our special guest, uh, chef proprietor of She Wolf Pastificio and Bar, Chef Anthony
2: Lombardo. Thank you for having me. I'm very Thanks. excited to be here.
1: Thank you for being here. I'd like to point out that when we were talking about any language is free to use on the podcast, he started dropping some Italian on us. So how was Joe's Italian?
2: I started just speaking Italian because nobody can understand what I said usually in situations like this. All right,
1: so why don't you say something that we have no idea what it is, and then if any of our listeners can speak Italian, tell us. Yeah? Is that good?
2: Okay. Say something. Io sono la più... That sounds gross. That means I'm the best-looking person in this room, Okay, in my opinion. Personal opinion. I was getting a little nervous, okay? Out of the men. She crushes all of us. Well played.
0: All right, Nick, uh, we are a few days away from Whiskey Experience. Uh, What happened? I saw you are at Keiko's today, a local, uh, great local. Absolutely. Oh, the one on Woodward? (laughs) Yes, one of the That place is legit.
1: 14 in Woodward, they just got a facelift. They're doing the interior soon, so that place is going to be the. Jam. That place
2: is legit. Yeah. Who owns that? Keldians. <sighs> Keiko's is a Keldian last name. I yeah,
1: think, I don't know. I've never asked what Joe and Giovanni are, but
2: um, Giovanni. Yeah. Giovanni Keiko? Yeah, could be some Italian. Huh. Interesting.
0: So what happened today? You got? I saw you got the ninety-three uh, gallon highball glass signed by someone.
1: Yeah. Well. Um. So we we took it on um Fox uh, Two. We took it on uh, W uh uh TV Twenty. Uh, both this morning, and then we uh, uh, on Saturday, we actually were on WXYZ. So I've hit many of the big ones. Channel 4 did not get back to me, womp, womp. Um, but we got a lot of the news, so some good coverage. And then Freddie No, who is an eighth-generation uh, distiller in line for um, Jim Bean, uh, was there because he had um, a bottle of Knob Creek Single Barrel that uh, Joe and G. picked out, and he signed it. He signed our uh, my bottle as well as the 93-gallon uh, highball
0: glass. So where is the highball glass going after you guys are done with it?
1: So it's funny. So um, Joe goes, uh, "Why don't you auction it off?" And I'm like, "I've never thought about that. That's interesting." And then Dave Harden, owner of Butter Run, who's also running the uh, whiskey experience, he goes, "I'm keeping it." (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that guy has. If you go upstairs in his um his upstairs kind of um, menagerie of things, he has at Butter Run in St. Croix. He has so many crazy like artifacts and crazy things. I mean, besides yeah. having like this whiskey museum of bottles, um, I mean, the guy has just a lot of cool stuff up there.
0: What is it? Is it made of glass? No, it? no, it's made of
1: Lexan. So it's uh, plastic. Okay. And um, we, I did look at getting glass. Glass was going to start me at 10,000. Wow. Um, I looked at getting a piece of pipe printed. So like a two foot diameter piece of pipe that was starting 5,000. So we took a sheet plastic and bent it and then riveted it and just, you know, waterproof the crap out of it. And um, so far, it's holding water. So,
0: Wow. Yeah. What was the cost difference? What are the total are the total uh, A fifth. Th- is, really? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, Plastics wow. Unlimited in um, Jackson, you know, they cut me a huge deal. But please send all your custom plastic needs to them. They're great guys.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Plastics Unlimited in Jackson? Plastic, yeah. They,
1: actually, right. they make a lot of custom display cases. They make light up like plastic, like pimp canes, which is pretty cool. So,
0: And then uh, the list was released. The whiskeys that were there.
1: Yep, we're um we're shy of two hundred, but there's not everything's not on there yet, so we're gonna totally clear two hundred. And a couple people have been commenting on the bourbon boards that they already liked it compared to something. You know, it's already a bigger list than some of the other whiskey events that came out. Um, like you know, Whistle Pig's gonna be there. Uh, Weller's gonna be there. Uh, Jefferson, uh, Ocean's gonna be there. Ocean Cast Strength. There's some twenty four year olds. There's some eighteen year olds. Twenty one year olds. Um, I mean, it's a Women? deep list. Um, maybe twenty-one and twenty-four (laughs) is no eighteen women are going to be there. Whiskey ages you, jerk.
0: I know. I'm kidding. So there's some unicorns on the on the list. So yeah, there's
1: some good unicorns. Yeah. Um. So the way to get the unicorns is you got to get a VIP ticket. It's only twenty bucks more. Um. And that goes to charity, which is great. But um, that gets you in an hour early. You can check out all the great unicorn bottles, and um, you know, just have a good time.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And so that's this Friday night.
1: That's this Friday. Hopefully, you are listening live. This will potentially go up after Friday, maybe before Friday. I don't know. We're not gonna make any promises.
0: <laughs> Thursday.
1: Thursday. Okay. So if it's Thursday, thanks so much for listening. <laughs> but yeah, it's Friday, April twentieth. It'll be a great event.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Anthony, thank you once again for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Um, so pasta feach pastaficio.
2: Pastificio. Pasta, fiche. pasta, fiche. pasta, fiche. pasta fiche. Yep. Fiche. What What's that mean? Pasta fiche means pasta factory. Okay. Which uh, is kind of like a you know fun term to use. We're going to be making a lot of pasta at She Wolf, so uh, you know we we looked at you know osteria, tra- tra- trattoria, you know, restaurante, all the Italian restaurant terms, but uh, you know, pastaficio is more of like a kind of a fun term, you know. But but it's it, it gets to the, the real heart of what you're doing because you, you're truly
0: going to be a pasta factory. Oh right? yeah, we'll be cranking out pasta.
1: So, are you just going to make for the restaurant or do you anticipate like kind of takeouts or like?
2: We will be ready. I, you know what I'd love to do? I would love to get like a nice lunch, like Uber Eats caviar kind of business going. Lots of takeout. I want to do lots of takeout at dinner. You know, there's a lot of people moving to Cass or Midtown area. Here's what I would like yeah. if you order a meal, yeah.
1: you get an entirely other meal to take home.
2: <laughs> wow. <laughs> for tomorrow? Like for tomorrow? Do you know what restaurant I'm talking about? <laughs> no. Do you? Yeah. Uh, uh, uh the, the, Mangianos. yeah, Mangianos, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yep. yeah, 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 yeah. The, yeah you, you
0: order one, they give you one to take. We home. don't say
2: Mangianos in this podcast. <laughs> we'll talk about them. We don't want to taint Metro Detroit's view of Italian food worse than it already is. You know,
0: well, I, I mean, you know, not to name names. There's some, there's some garbage Italian food around here. You said it. Yeah, I'm hey. not going to say. <laughs> it.
2: I mean, it's it, it can be. There's a lot of really cool all-you-can-eat breadsticks places all that I have hit to your heart. Yep. You know, they serve that red sauce pasta. And it's it's good. It's delicious. You know, maybe they're not using the best ingredients like like they should, but whatever. They're they're old school. there and they 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 go at you for your heart. You know, because they know you've been coming here since you're a kid. And there's a lot of those great red sauce places around town. So you're talking like different stuff. Like, like we're gonna be more contemporary. Pasta. We want to be like what's happening in Italy, like today. Okay. Like if you go to modern city like Rome or Milano, specifically Rome, there's a lot of like cool, you know, educated chefs that have dedicated their lives to cooking Italian food with Italian ingredients that are making really cool stuff and twists on classics and uh, a lot of that, and that's what we want to do, you know.
0: And so that starts with pasta, and you're you're going as far back as you're bringing in your own grain your yeah. your your own wheat and you're going to mill it
2: holy crap we're going to mill our yeah we, we've been uh you know communicating with farms in Michigan, Indiana, Arizona, Windsor people that are growing really good non-GMO organic grains and uh and we want to mill them so we you know I did a, a bunch of research and I ended up buying a mill from Italy and uh it was expensive <laughs> <laughs> and uh I took a a couple of uh, courses on milling, and I uh, yeah, traveled get it, and
1: get it courses put it yeah.
2: You see that because it's the course because <laughs> it's the, the uh, course uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> good job, that was good. Wow, wow, he's Doug. good at that, Doug. That was a yeah. good fun. <laughs> and uh, just tried to learn as much about it as possible, and I'm learning. It's like it's it's the greatest thing in the world. Different grains have different flavors. Um, different courses have different textures of pasta you can extrude all of these into different shapes and using mostly the whole wheat you know so when you think of a kernel of grain you th- you have the outer husk then you have what's called the endosperm which is flour endosperm is all purpose flour
1: i'm having bile out and then bran and
2: is the outer kind of husk that becomes the whole wheat now when you make pasta let's say you're making like a like a spaghetti or something bran is is is, is glutens gluten is what holds pasta together Bran is a razor blade that cuts through gluten. Hmm. Bran is gluten's worst enemy. So, if you try to make a spaghetti, like a whole wheat spaghetti, if you don't dehydrate it exactly at the perfect temperature and there's a lot of technicalities, then the spaghetti is going to fall apart when you cook it and it's going to become little pezzettini, little pieces, you know? But if you make like a heart, like an orechetti or like an rigatoni, or a pacri or like a short noodle that that is going to get, like, you can make a really good whole wheat. You know pasta. You can extrude it, which means passing it through a brass die and making like a you know making it there on site, and it holds up really well. And there's different cooking times, and there's different sauces you can pair with each grain.
1: Now that's that's something I want to talk about because when I found out that each pasta has a purpose, yeah, and it's not just like oh, what shape do you want in your spaghettios? Yeah, like that I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Like, can you maybe give us like the you know, 10,000 foot view of like what big pastas do what?
2: Um, I can give, It's that's something that's based a lot on region okay. in Italy. So, so I'll maybe tell you what something. you're going to do. When I, when I, I grew up in Sterling Heights okay. with around a lot of Italians and stuff like that and uh, grew up around a big Italian family. Then like my senior high school, we moved to Brighton, which was like all white, you know, no it's ethnic much, people whatsoever. Yeah. There's no white. ethnicity. Yeah. So they're like, do you just, like, eat spaghetti every day? And I said, whoa, sometimes we eat linguine. Sometimes we eat, like, rigatoni. I don't understand. They just thought all pasta right, was called right, spaghetti. Right. I was like, no, yesterday we had penne. I didn't eat spaghetti yesterday. What are you talking about? So, And yeah. it's also,
1: like, and pasta's not a main, right?
2: No, pasta's a primi, you know? Okay. So is your main, you know, and you don't ever serve pasta with a protein, you know, on the same plate. In my opinion, in Italy, that's how it is, you know, you don't like chicken parm on top of spaghetti and listen, I'm not (laughs) talking, listen, if you want to eat that, eat it. I mean, if you go to a a good restaurant on Mm -hmm. the east side, like a cool Italian red sauce spot and that's how they do it, that's an Italian American way to eat it. Sure. That's just not what she Wolf is. you know. I
0: I mean, growing up, uh, my, my grandmother, I'm half Italian. She would always, she would serve the pasta, the salad and the yeah. pasta uh-huh. and then the meat, the potatoes. Exactly, and the yeah. And um, you were, it was assumed that you were going to eat everything because if you didn't, that's an offense to, to her. Did yeah. you have to pace yeah.
1: yourself? Uh, like- I,
0: but that's not, that's not possible in okay. an Italian grandmother's home sure. because you have to have at least two helpings of pasta Ugh. and then a couple more helpings of meat. And then if, if you had been, if you know, you're working out or something like, why do you look so thin? And grandma gets all worried and then you yeah. have to eat more.
1: But are yeah. these maybe not like American portions?
0: Oh, no. They, they like,
1: are you, are like, when you say like a second helping of meat? Yeah. Like, are these like, you know, oh, it's
0: a couple little o- pieces of veal. Six ounce piece of breaded steak for yeah. the most part. Like okay. This isn't, this isn't some
2: bullshit, like, and then like, you eat two of them, by yeah. the way. So okay. they don't never make one per person. They make three of you. Know? I mean, Joe, how do you think this body happened? You think this body happened overnight? This is premeditated. There's a lot of hard work that went into this thing, you know? That's the second time I've complimented myself on my body. And, uh, it's radio. You can be whatever you want. Okay, so pasta is this, like,
0: it's so prevalent it's everywhere, right? But yeah. in the grocery store, you go, and, like, there's a whole aisle just of pasta. Yeah. Yeah. That it, it's so easy to buy, it's cheap, it's yeah. all these things. You're taking it back, yes. like in a way. Yeah. So, it's not wh- cheap the way we're doing it. And so, what has happened to pasta that has made
2: it so prevalent in our culture? Is it just honestly that you know it's a dollar a pound, at save a lot, you know, and everybody can eat spaghetti and tomato like canned ragu. You can feed your family for five dollars, you know. So that's one reason, um, but. Another thing that I like to think about is um, all the gluten stuff that's happening right now, and people are freaking out about, you know, everybody has a gluten allergy, a gluten intolerance, and it's something that never happened in, you know, in earlier generations. And it's because, a lot of it is because, in my opinion, the industrialization of flour, mm-hmm. you know. Flour has to be industrialized to a point where you mill it in Nebraska, and you can ship it across the country, and to have it sit at a shelf-stable temperature for months, which is not how flour is intended to be. In order for that to happen, you have to add preservatives, you have to remove vital nutrients that are in the flour when it's freshly milled, and you have to replace those nutrients with like riboflavin, niacin, um, and all these ingredients that are not natural to flour, and then people have been eating this for years, and then all of a sudden, gluten is is the worst thing in the world, you know?
1: So in in Italy, are are families like milling their own grain or is no, it more local no but like local? the
2: town will have a town mill got it okay you know or like a couple towns over there'll be a mill and you just buy flour from the mill you know that's how mostly it's done in it. or you know you don't flour has an expiration date i mean it has a lotto de scadenza they call it like a, it means expiration day. like don't use this flour if it's past two months because it's probably all the nutrients are gone in it
1: you know so let's say all right so if we want to change our ways and maybe go for a, a more healthier flour what yeah. do you recommend? Is there a is there a brand? Is there a style? Is there a
2: Well, I recommend like uh, Red Mills, like I don't know if Bob or They they, you know, they do a good job, but they still need to ship, you know. Sure. Ship it across the country, you know. I recommend buying a KitchenAid mill. Oh, yeah. You know, and buying whole grains from your farmers market. That's ideal like I'm the ultimate hippie situation,
0: <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it's a Try to
2: buy other than that, try to buy organic where By the way, a lot of organic flours still have riboflavin and niacin, which Mm -hmm. are just they're adding organic. Somehow, somebody made organic niacin in a lab and (laughs) added it to flour. I don't know how that happened, but whatever. (laughs) The niacin tree. (laughs) So, like the flour we're milling at She Wolf has like probably a five-day shelf life. We need to make pasta from the flour we're milling within the next five days, and then sell that pasta within the next day. You know, so because it's super fresh. When it comes out of that mill and you squeeze the flour, it stays. It's it stays together because it has all these, you know, folic acids and and uh, and stuff in it that kind of give it like a little bit of moisture, almost, and that also go bad, right?
0: You know, what's the taste experience like? the
2: think like lots of nuttiness. It depends on the grain, but like nuttiness, earthiness. You know, like spelt, for example, is like a combination of nuttiness and earthiness. Rye, super earthy, not a lot of gluten, but a lot of earthy flavors. You know, farro, much more nutty. You know, farro and spelt are kind of very similar, much more nutty, you know. And then uh, stuff like red spring whites and, uh, you know, red fifes, which are high-gluten bread flour, like grains, just kind of neutral tones. So
0: the way you're describing all this, this is all very seasonal, it sounds like. And so your menu then, Uh will you have some base pastas with base flours and then have like seasonal pastas with seasonal flowers is that well
2: grains here's the thing about the grain grains can be harvested and they have that outer husk they're shelf stable for for years you know once you crack that husk and open the endosperm and access those nutrients now you're talking about you're releasing that oil and it becomes you know vulnerable to you know um going bad and and such so so as a grain we plan on buying lots of grains keeping them in storage and uh using them all year like you're right you can you harvest grain you harvest grains twice sometimes you know three times a year depending on the grain like winter wheat when they talk about winter that. wheats winter and then yeah. you got spring wheat which are basically identical you know protein and uh gluten contents but one is harvested in the winter little stronger a little more protein one's harvested in the spring a little less but you know pretty identical is you know?
1: anyone like milling their own grain in
2: Detroit Um, not that I've seen, but there might be someone out there, you know, you never know, but Hmm. we're going to be right on display. We have a, she wolf, there's going to be a floor to ceiling glass pasta room where our mill is going to be, our extruder is going to be, and there'll be like an old lady in there making pasta, you know? And if, and if we can't find an old lady, I'm just going to dress up like Miss Doubtfire. I just make like an old Italian Miss Doubtfire. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) So, uh, your background, you, you, uh, went to culinary school? I went to culinary school at the CIA in Hyde Park, New York. Um, you know, graduated in like 2004. Okay, and then uh, yeah, I mean, I'll just go through. I mean, I job by job. You know, I kind of like went to uh, Nantucket Island after I graduated. Okay. I did my externship in a place called Everest. Externship when you go to CIA, you take a it's like a 24 month program where you go eight months in school then you go 8 months as an extern and then you go back to school for 8 months extern means you just enter the job field you go work for a chef and that chef just beats the shit out of you for for a long time for me that chef was a chef named Thomas who's at the foundation hotel really oh, yeah. he okay. was the executive sous chef there he was the, so he was like you know starting to really peak in his career and he kind of took me on as a like he hired me because I was a Lions fan literally wow. i had i had lone star steakhouse on my resume <laughs> and um he was a you know this was a four star restaurant in the chicago Tribune, everest chef jean joho at the time uh-huh. it was a french alsatian like fine dining restaurant and uh and he was like listen so you're from like detroit area i said yeah he's like are you a lions fan i said yeah he said can we at least talk about like detroit sports for 10 minutes out of our out of our 15 hour day and then i'm also <laughs> going to beat the shit out of you i said okay, <laughs> absolutely that sounds sounds like a plan <laughs> because a lot of extern if you wanted to go to like the pinnacle restaurants at this time in two thousand and three or four, where uh, you wanted to go to Danielle La Bernadette, or you want to go to Trotter in Chicago, or you wanna you pick a four there's four or five four star in Chicago, you know, five or six, five star, four star in New York. If you wanted to go to the best, you weren't getting paid. Ah. And that was not an option for me. Now labor laws has changed everything. You're not, not getting paid for six months? No, for eight months. Eight months. And then working 90 hours a week. Not getting paid? Oh, my God, no. no. So what do you do? Well, you know, you know, some people can sell weed on the side. Not like I did that. <laughs> Maybe I did that. But that's still Anyways. work.
0: That's still work. That's still work.
2: Um, I've seen Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, a lot of kids... Factored into their student loans, I guess, or oh, come from families credit. where they can their parents will ch- you know, throw in on their rent or whatever and factor that in or I didn't you know, I didn't have that option. So I needed to find a job where I could at least make minimum wage and live in a basement somewhere. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did in Chicago and I worked you know, Chef Tom said, you know, we'll pay you minimum wage and you just work, work, work. And I worked my way up through the line and I had a great time. Learned so much. Minimum so, like uh regular wage. Minimum not like wage. Server wage. No, no. Minimum wage at that point was like six dollars, and it was less than seven dollars an hour in Chicago. In Chicago, in yeah. Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> and I lived in a neighborhood called you know in the way north, way north. And then uh, after that, went back to school. Spent a summer on Nantucket Island, went which is a school- great. Went back to CIA. Went back to CIA. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, when I, uh, when I wanted to, go, when it was time to go back to school, I had a. A couple of friends that did externships that were like, I'm not going back. You know, I'm a, my chef told me I can learn everything here, which I almost did. You know, but I had my old man who was like, you know, old school telling guy that was like, you're going back to school. I will come drag you <laughs> from Chicago. And what did you buy your hair?
1: What did you learn in that that
2: next the next
1: session of school?
2: It was great because that was wine. The first class ah. back was wine knowledge, ah. and I was like, oh, this is fucking amazing <laughs> because I was 21. I turned twenty one in Chicago, and I got back to wine class. And I, you, you just go to school and you drink wine. And you learn about the regions, and I loved the thing. that I love about wine is I love geography. Mm-hmm. So I really wine got into wine is geography. Wine is geography, yeah. literally. So, so, all
1: right, twenty one. When you turned twenty one, where, yeah. where was your first legal drink?
2: Oh, I was. I don't even remember the name, but I was out with Chef Tom. And I don't. I don't remember much of that. Evening, <laughs> honestly, that's a good twenty-first birthday. That yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a good twenty-first. I remember being at a like it was like a, it was kind of like a red sauce Italian place like we talked about, and uh, and it was closed, but they let us keep drinking, and I remember the old Italian owner coming out and try to sell Chef Tom, like, the stoves. Be like, hey, listen, we got these stoves here. We don't need them anymore. Why don't you guys put them up at the Everest over there? And Chef Tom was like, no, we don't You know, we don't need any stoves. He's like, well, you don't want stoves? We got these stoves here. We sell them to. I remember that part. Where Chef Tom had to, like, deflect this uh, Italian guy from selling him stoves.
1: And he's probably had a couple of... A couple sodas at that point. Yeah. So.
2: He was like really trying to be nice and like get this Italian mafia guy away from us from like selling us stoves. He's like, I got a stove. I got a steamer. I got one of those uh, kettle things, you know, whatever you guys need. You let me know.
1: I got it. It's not stolen.
2: <laughs> yeah. So it's good. Everest, then where? Uh, Everest, then Nantucket Island, where I did like a summer. Did you After shuck a I lot of oysters? A lot of oysters, a lot of seafood. Yep. The seafood comes in, it hasn't even gone through rigor mortis, it's like, fre- it's like room, it's water temperature by the wow. time it gets to the restaurant, which is not good, by the way, to serve for your restaurant. You need, to, you need to get it through that rigor mortis phase, which I learned. You take a fish and you're like, oh, this is so fresh, but it doesn't cook right, it doesn't sear right. It needs to go through that rigor mortis phase where the proteins and the muscles seize up and that's how it cooks properly, honestly. So what is that time period from like caught so you to- Get it in a couple hours. Oh, caught to the restaurant in caught? hours. All right, so
1: okay, and then what's the?
2: And then you need to ice it down for at least three hours. Okay, it's so about a quarter, quarter of a nice day, cool. okay. but still yeah, yeah, yeah. out of the water that morning. Serve that night. Nice, super cool for me to see when I was a young young man. You know, is that same
1: young. with uh, kind of uh, mammals too?
2: When you're, um, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, and that's USDA by the way. Once you touch talking about animals, got it. It has to be at least forty eight hours at at least forty eight hours. Okay. Um. You know, the USDA won't even let it be released until it's hung and uh, stayed at a constant temperature for a certain amount of time, yeah. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, so that was Nantucket. I don't know. So Nantucket, it was actually, I remember it was the summer of 2004 because the Pistons won the NBA championship, which was one of the greatest days of my life. They, You know, because I was like a Detroiter on Nantucket Island, and and I had a Ben Wallace jersey (laughs) that I wore everywhere. So what's the basketball team up there? They have. I mean, they got the Celtics. 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 Yeah, that's all yeah. I can think of. Yeah, right. Yeah. But it's no, you know, like main team. It was the year where the Pistons beat the Lakers, who were like so favored, and everybody was talking so much shit to me because they knew I was the Detroit kid. I wore Detroit hat everywhere. I had a Ben Wallace jersey, Tigers jersey everywhere I went. You know,
0: they were supposed to get swept that year.
2: They were supposed to get swept. They were supposed to get just absolutely destroyed. Yep. And they turned the tables on them. So that was a great. That was a great day in my life. <laughs> but that tuck is one of those things where you work hard, play hard. Work hard, play hard. You work on the, you. we worked at an American seasonal restaurant where I had my, st- you know, I was a line cook, had my station, had five things on my station, had to make sure my station was prepped, ready to go before service. You get there at noon, you get your station ready, and then last plate goes out at midnight, you go to the beach, you know, you hang out, you party, back at it the next day. It's summertime in Nantucket, so there's no, every night's Saturday night, the restaurant, every, you know, it's not like, a, oh, it's Monday, we're slow. Every night is, it doesn't matter. You're doing maximum covers every single night, what does that mean like like volume wise you know at this restaurant, which was like eighty seats, was probably like two hundred ten wow. covers a day,
1: you know, Wow, all right so you're working twelve hours, yeah, you're going to the beach for how long?
2: Oh, you know you sleep when you're in your early twenties you know, a couple <laughs> what do you need how much sleep do you need? See and that's An what hour? I'm thinking like are you gonna like is
1: are there days when you're on the line when like you're so exhausted you're like I'm gonna chop a finger off. Is that my mother coming out of me? I mean,
2: have have you seen my fingers? Like, I don't. There's all kinds of like. You have no. all of them though, I'm which so is so happy exciting. My parents aren't going to listen to this podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though because uh, I definitely you, you learn in the kitchen, and I have an, I did a little bit of line cooking, but not much. Yeah. But I did a catering gig, and I was cooking um, garlic uh, in the stove and some oil, yeah. and I was rushing, and I yeah. grabbed that pan out of the oven yeah. and put it on the top of the stove, and I got oh. the biggest burn across my hand. And I learned. I yeah. learned quick. <laughs> oh man,
2: line cooking. Every food job in this in this industry stems from line cooking. Yeah. If you can't line cook, you can't be a caterer. You can't be a you know a baker. You can't any kind of food. You can't be like a personal chef or a private chef or whatever. You need to be able to be an amazing line cook mm-hmm. before anything. And it's a rush. And it's a it's an adrenaline rush. You have to be organized. You have to. Figure out the least amount of movements to do for each, you know, each plate, and uh, make sure you have enough. It's all about preparation. It's all about mise en place, which is a term that we use, you know. And
0: but Food TV doesn't teach you that.
2: No, Food, food Network TV, doesn't teach you that. No,
0: they say that it's Food all- TV,
1: That was retired a long time ago. It's Food Network. It's Food t- Network.
2: TV yeah, on
0: oh, Food. There's the cooking or Food channel. on t v like lowercase not- F. Okay. yeah. I yeah I'm, not, okay. I'm not trying to shit on your Christ. employer. I'm sorry. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean,
2: you know, the glamorization of all this stuff is There's it, it, no glamour in it. N- when you get to my level and you can do podcasts and drink wine, <laughs> there's a little bit of glamour? What's that, the 1%? There's like it's like a touch of glamour. <laughs> but it's bullshit. I was joking around with my friends, I had the greatest celebrity chef moment of my life the other last week. My uh like when I was in DC, I was working at a restaurant using a bunch of local greens from this hydroponic farmer that I found at a farmers market, and she said, "Hey, can I come to your restaurant <laughs> and like we're filming a hydroponic farming like blah 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 i said okay come she, where they make it a documentary in hydroponics so i made like a salad on some lady on a camera i made, i talked they interviewed me i said hydroponics are great you know the the lettuce is consistent in february and july and ah, still has a yeah, lot of flavor yeah. blah 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 um she's like and then i like completely forgot about it It was like a regular two i never saw the documentary i never saw anything fast forward like five years my 12-year-old niece is in science class watching a documentary on, like, hydroponics. And she's like, that's my – uncle. it says Chef Anthony Lombardo making – like, what the f- – where did you guys f- – what? She's like, that's my uncle. I was like, this is the greatest celebrity chef moment of my life. This is greater than a podcast that I'm going to be on. All right, well, so- one
1: day when we're reviewed in, like, a legal, like, setting, you know, for, from the FCC, that'll be your,
2: you know, your your niece's daughter – yeah, exactly. Um, okay, after Nantucket, what happened? I went to Italy. Grabbed a backpack. I actually got a scholarship to this uh, Slow Food. You've heard of Slow Food Organization, which yeah. is an, it's like opposite of fast food. Slow Food Organization gave yeah. an, a scholarship to, uh, to a couple of students from CIA. Uh, I kind of like won a cooking competition and wrote an essay and got like 10 grand and plus a visa to mm. go to Italy.
1: How much was the limit on the visa?
2: Uh, it was a year. Oh, that
1: kind of visa. Oh my god. Well, you thought it was (laughs) a visa card. (laughs) Holy shit! You thought it was a card. It was a a, a, yeah. (laughs) And you gave me just a straight (laughs) answer too. I didn't even.
2: I was like, because there is a limit. No, I hear you. I I, 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 hear you. Um, never gonna come back. So I just shot to Italy. Went to this cooking school there, and. uh, Everybody you in order to be at the cooking school you had to speak Italian, right? In order to get accepted. So they like gave you a little Italian test, which I somehow passed. And did you speak Italian before then? I thought st- you know, I thought I did. Because From I, your family? Yeah. Okay. But like once I got there I was like, What are you people saying to me? <laughs>
1: <laughs> was it a no different dialect? Happening. Or they were it just, was just
2: like- dialect, it was, it was so fast and yeah. coming at me so fast, you know, and like you know. I don't re- I didn't really so once I got there, I learned it quick, I picked it up quick, but it was an international cooking school, so there's only two Americans, and then there's a couple of Germans, and like a f- couple of Koreans, and a couple of Australians, and uh, like seven Japanese, All, everybody spoke fluent Italian. Wow. And uh, so you went through kind of the cooking school, and then you, you got placed in jobs, and you know, you just basically, ba- I basically backed, packed around and would go to a restaurant and hear about a restaurant that was really doing well. And uh, go there with my knife kit to the back door and say, "Hey, I'll work for free if you can, if I can just, you know, and I'll sleep. Do you have a basement I can sleep in, kind of thing, you know?" So, all right. So, where was the school? The school is in the Marche, which is central Italy.
1: Okay, and and where were you, like, backpacking around everywhere?
2: I every oh, I went. Okay. Out, I visited all twenty one regions of Italy. Wow! And I ate in at least all twenty one regions. I worked in seven regions, um, at least like. Got a paycheck from seven regions, you know. Over what time period? Over the, about two years. That's amazing. So I took out a ten thousand dollar loan, and that lasted me two years.
1: On top of the loans you already had from Chicago.
2: What do you mean? Not oh, kidding. From
1: from uh, oh, that's right. You got minimum the, wage. You were living in a basement. <laughs> okay, yeah.
2: <laughs> so then Italy, then so you come, then you come back to the states. So then I went back to the states. I went to a place in uh, D.C. called Galileo. One of my chefs in Italy that I worked for had a chef in DC called Roberto Donna. He was a well-known Piemontese chef. I got I spent a lot of time in Piemonte where the Lang, where the Langhe, where this uh, Chardonnay that we're drinking. Or what wine. is this? A Sauvignon? Yeah, Sauvignon. Yep, Sauvignon. Sauvignon. Sauvignon, yep. Sauvignon we're drinking is from. Yep. And uh, his name was Roberto Donna. So I went and worked for him for a year, and then I really missed Detroit, and I wanted to come back. You know, so I reached out to uh, Luciano, who was like a. The Italian chef of Detroit at the time, you know, he's the guy. Del Signore. Yeah, Luciano Del Segor. Yes. I sent him my resume. Gas. I said, Listen, gas. I need a job. I want to come back to Detroit. My whole family's here and I want to cook, you know, really good Italian food. So he said, you know, I came back and worked for him a lot and he's like huge mentor in my career. At Baco. At Baco, okay. yeah. This was like two thousand six. Um two thousand six to two thousand like you know, nine or something, nine and ten. My timeline's like you know you guys got me all. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: while we're on Baco, can I spread some Baco rumors? Yeah, yeah. I hear that they're moving it to Birmingham, uh-huh. and then the Southfield location is going to be a little more casual.
0: Oh, really? Yeah,
1: because um the they supposedly they bought, uh, Cafe Via, on 15. Oh wow! So that's I didn't what know I heard. Cafe
0: Via was out of business. They're out of business.
1: Uh, they're closed. Yeah. They're closed
0: so. they wow. Yeah. Um, you heard it here first. Maybe That's an, <laughs> It's interesting because uh, right is right there too, a, a Northwestern. That's kind of the casual. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like right down the mm-hmm. right down the street. It's interesting. Interesting stuff. So it's a good rumor. Yeah. I mean, ba- Baco is uh, like the 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 top like upper echelon, yeah. of, of Italian cooking in in this area. I, I, mean, I would agree with that. Yeah. I, I think the, Baco and. Possibly Silver Spoon, yeah, out in Rochester. Um,
1: Where did you yeah. drag me? Uh, uh, I was like I seventy five and somewhere Southfield. We did the video there. <laughs>
0: oh, Moros, is that it? Moros yeah. is a Red Sauce place. That's another Moros. Yeah, Moros and uh, Allen Park. Oh, yeah they're they're a Red they're, they're like I would put them in the same the same category as like Vince's I just appreciated the, the process. Giovanni's
1: yeah. the the tableside service, the oh yeah the the bowl of fruit and nuts, like all of the like very kind of
0: Oh yeah. And this is something like very reminiscent of again my grandma's house. Like yeah. you'd go there and there would always be apples, oranges and walnuts. Yeah. And uh and then fennel. Yeah. Uh it was just something that we'd always have after dinner. Yeah. And um Morro's has that. That's part of the part mm-hmm. of the experience. Um I don't think there's many places that do that around that, that do the whole fruit basket. I love that. Yeah. That's it's a great idea. uh um, oh,
2: like the walnut with the cracker right in the thing. That's, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's true.
0: Yeah, and I was like, you know, seven years old, trying to use a nutcracker, not knowing what the hell I was doing, <laughs> hurt myself a couple times. You know, whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the red sauce places, like you, like you said, like there's a multitude of them around here, and a lot of them are very good. Yeah, and they've absolutely. been around for. 30, 40, There's a reason they've been around
2: 30, 40 years, you yeah. know? Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, it's not what we're going to be doing at she Wolf. So, you know, people are going to come in, oh, it's an Italian restaurant. And they're going to come in and they're going to say, I'll, t- I'll take a chicken parm. And we're going to be like, um, don't hate us, <laughs> but we don't have chicken parms or spaghetti and meatballs. So we're gonna to have to work with those clientele, but I don't think it's gonna be a problem. I think well, Detroit's Detroit's past that, and Detroit is like ready to go. Yeah.
0: well what, what, what? I mean, obviously you've worked through the me- worked through some concepts in your head for the menu.
2: Like, oh, what, yeah. what do you, what do you think? What's the menu gonna look like? Menu's gonna be kind of Roman inspired. Okay. It's gonna have the Roman pastas. There's four main pastas when you go to Rome. You have cacio e pepe, cacio e pepe, which is you know classical Roman pasta. It's Give us like, a shape because I have no idea what that is. Well. It depends on the shape. Oh, cacho e pepe is the sauce. It just means cheese and pepper. Yeah, I'm an idiot. So it's like butter and cheese, pecorino sauce, usually with like a noodle, like tonorelli, is what we're gonna serve it with. Okay, and uh, and then you have carbonara, which is guanciale. You know, or you have la gricha, Excuse me. You have la gricha, which is this cacho e pepe, but add guanciale there. You mm-hmm. know, cheese and pepper, and then also like that bacon flavor, guanciale, which is the jowl. jowl yeah. Mm-hmm and you have carbonara which is the guan, the jowl plus pepper plus some eggs and uh cheese in there and you have a matricana which is a red sauce based jowl also in that sauce let's let's go back to
0: carbonara for a second cuz yeah. i feel like there there's a lot of carbonara in the area mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i i, w- I would you venture do? a guess and say that there's probably 90 Ninety to ninety-five percent of them are done improperly. Yeah, what's the proper
2: way to do a carbonara? First things first, no peas. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that disqualifies. If you have peas in your carbonara, you're not a traditional Roman carbonara. I okay. mean, you're, you're an American carbonara. There's nothing wrong with it, but what, what, why peas in American car? Why, I don't why? Know. color? Okay. So maybe the need color. for vegetables. A color, yeah, yeah. yeah. People love that green. Okay. The green with the brown
0: and the white and the, yeah. (laughs) Couldn't hit the plate with some fucking parsley or something? Just splash it with some of
2: that green gold. (laughs) (laughs) You know? I don't know. Okay, so no peas. No peas. Uh, Rule number two don't um, scramble your eggs. Mm. Scrambled eggs, carbonara is a thing, you know? It is? Yeah, you can't scramble your eggs in there. That sounds awful like. Well, it's a, it's a. If they cook the, if you cook the sauce a lot, it's going to scramble. Yeah. Right. Oh, I, I get it. It's so all about the creamy zabayon kind of like texture in there. Uh huh. You know. So that's that. Um, no cream, only oh, dairy no cream. is cheese. It's egg. It should be egg yolks, white wine, and cheese. That's the only. You shouldn't have. It shouldn't be cream sauce. You wow. Know? You know, Pasta lot, water is where your creaminess is coming from. Mm-hmm. You know, and it should be guanciale. It shouldn't be. You know bacon, or you know I've seen it with like breakfast sausage. I've seen it with like you know I've seen it with for like, real, yeah, breakfast yeah. sausage. Yeah, breakfast carbonara, which actually was pretty good. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a bad idea. I'm not gonna play. I'm, <laughs> I'm not even gonna sit here like I sound. I probably sound super pretentious. <laughs> breakfast sausage carbonara was delicious. It's probably gonna be on the menu at She Wolf for brunch. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do like a carbonara brunch at She Wolf. Just mm-hmm. carbonara is basically. It's breakfast. Pork, yeah. eggs, cheese, pasta. Take that. Any combination, whether it's a frittata, whether it's a waffle, whether it's a entree dish. You know, like a carbonara brunch. I don't know. And black pepper. I don't know. <laughs> Just a thought. It's a fantastic idea. Thanks for thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, so that uh, meat the, sauce or the the red sauce, the matriciana.
2: Yeah. Yep. The carbonara. Carbonara. Yep. The uh, cacho uh, pepe. Yep. And, and then, gricha, La gricha. Okay. And so those are like the four, the composition What's the last one? composition of Roman pastas, four pastas, okay. four pastas, you know. And then we want to do extruded, like whole wheat extruded on the menu, so basically taking our whole grains, using the whole grain, extruding it and just kind of pairing a sauce with the grain. Um That's so, like your penne, that's your uh, That's like your penne your rigatoni extrude, yeah. you know, your uh The ones Kanti, that look like from their, Pockety, the Play-Doh. Shells, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Correct. Yeah. And then we're going to have finely milled durum flour, which is going to be like sheeted pasta, yeah. right? Not extruded, but sheeted, like a uh, through your, through the pasta machine. Raviolis and things. Raviolis, tagliatelle, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, lasagna. Lasagna, you know, lasagnette. we do like a little higher end lasagna. You know, what pizza. is that? So what? What is that? How is that different? What's a higher end? Lasagna? Like an individual, maybe? Or, oh, okay. Then flavor, you know, different. Like make it a little more. People think lasagna. They say, well, "My, you know." My aunt makes lasagna. Why would I eat it at a restaurant? You know, so you gotta spaz it up a little bit. You know,
1: so if you're saying that it's individual, is that something that's kind of like lasagnette
2: part- would be like a lasagnette means little lasagna. Okay, so you make it in an individual pan, like a cast iron pan or something, and then you kind of eat it out of there, which is you know a little individually shaped lasagnette, as opposed to like a lasagna. People think they're getting like a right fuck. It's like a scoop of fucking. <laughs> yeah. The visual
1: was very important, right there.
2: Yeah, but but I mean, I, I grew up so. My mom used to bake lasagna.
0: Lasagna was yeah. a special occasion. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's right? yeah, a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot. It's of a work. lot of work. Yeah, and even even in the big pan, like it's still a lot of work. Yeah, and um, like any I go to an Italian restaurant, if they they say we're known for our lasagna, I'm ordering it. I don't I don't give a shit if it's a individual, yeah, personal, or if it came out of a
2: big pan. Yeah, if it's well made, yeah. well made lasagna is a really special thing. Um, what's the one in Del Rey, The Italian restaurant, uh. So Giovanni, Giovanni's, Giovanni's yeah. does really good. My my uh, friends love that lasagna there. I haven't been there, but they said the lasagna there is legit. See, I would just never order it because like you're not going to make it better than than what I've had at home. Oh yeah, at a it, restaurant, you it, know, because you got you got a it's too it, right? nostalgic. Don't fuck it, you know, don't fuck it up for okay. me. That's my opinion. You know? So so growing up, yeah.
0: Did you have the kitchen in the basement? Oh yeah, in the okay. garage. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep, in All the right. garage.
1: Yeah, my, my my grandma had, but the, that's the uh, bonus kitchen. The that's gr- not the Wait, no, That's
2: where you cook all the stinky stuff. That's what we used to call it, what? la puzza. If it stinks, <laughs> you cook it in the garage.
1: Because I took a cl- um, I took a class where I made um, uh, uh, what's the the thin pork um, prosciutto, oh. uh, where I made a, a prosciutto like a whole leg. Oh, okay, oh. and so you and we did it in the guy's basement, and, and you he had a little kitchen basement. down there, and yeah. he had a big table, yeah. And so we'd make it. He put it in his like meat cellar. And then six months later, we came and picked it up and ate it and had a party, and it was awesome.
2: That sounds great.
1: It was great. And then I had like a gazillion pounds of prosciutto for yeah. a long time.
0: That's good. That doesn't go bad.
2: I, we ate it. Yeah, you ate it. Yeah.
0: I remember growing up thinking it was really strange when my friends didn't have a kitchen in their basement. Yeah. It turns out that I was, well, you were the strange, strange
2: one. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: so, uh, Baco for three years. What happened after? Baco for like, yeah, four years. Then four I moved years. to D.C.
2: Okay. Um, you know, I wanted to move to a bigger market, challenge myself a little bit. I was looking at other markets, Boston, New York, Chicago, um, D.C. because I had a lot of connections there. I had some friends there. Uh, went there. Um, got a job at the executive chef at a restaurant called 1789, which was a really, you know, big deal for me at the time, you know. I was at my first executive chef job. It was a company called the Clyde's Restaurant Group. They have a like fourteen restaurants around DC area, but seventeen eighty nine was like their prestigious fine dining element. It was on Georgetown's campus. Seventeen eighty nine is the name, the year that Georgetown University was founded. Mm. We had a great relationship with the university, and uh, and uh, you know things were like kind of not going the best at the restaurant. So I came from a recommended from a friend. His name was Daniel Giusti. He was the executive chef before me there. And got me involved with this restaurant group. He later left uh, 1789 and went to become and went to took an internship at Noma in mm. Copenhagen. Later became the head chef there and worked as the head chef there for four years. Damn. Um, so I took his job as the executive chef there. 1789 is a 28 year old executive chef. Not a lot of exec experience besides you know Baco where Lucia I was never the exec. Luciano is the chef there, but I learned under him, you know? So every decision I made at this new restaurant where I was a chef, you know, I had Luciano, like, on my, like, you know how you have the angel and the devil on your shoulder, you know? You got, like, Luciano on this shoulder, and you got another version of Luciano on this shoulder. It's like, you know, like, making decisions for you. And uh, so the restaurant wasn't in the best shape financially, and so I made some decisions and kind of turned the restaurant around, and next thing you know... The Washington Post reviewed me, which and uh, in, in DC and like major markets like that, you never know when they're coming. You know they're they're anonymous. You don't know what they look like. You don't know what the reservation name is under. They come eat five times. You have no idea they were there. They're just eating at your restaurant, and then they write same a review, and like four million people read it. And then if they shit on you, your career is pretty much over. <laughs> is and it the same person? It's the same guy. Yeah.
1: Okay. And but, do did they like dress up? Or is it just
2: you know? You never know. That's the you're always not going fake, out there looking everything. you yeah. know, but it's always a fake name, and sometimes there's like a mustache or like a wig or something that they play around with, or sometimes it's a four top, sometimes it's a single diner, sometimes you know. Yeah, so,
0: I mean, and this is the reason why the new if the New York Times reviews a place, and even if they get one and a half or two stars, your your business skyrockets. Oh yeah, yeah. um, I mean, not even thinking about three or four stars, uh you know it's it's an incredible kind of way to push the needle for a place um with a review like that
2: yeah and it's a, basically what happened to us um you know the washingtonian is the other major publication food publication in dc um both reviewed me my you know first uh four months there both very positive reviews and business skyrocketed wow and then you know i became like a you know a chef, like the young blah 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 chef, and you know, like running this old estate it's like it was the like kind of like the Whitney, like an old townhouse that mm-hmm. was like old, but the food was like you were making it new and creative and fun, so, so
1: kind of like the Whitney, but not really,
2: not nothing like the Whitney
0: so so <laughs> you get these positive reviews, yeah, right, so so business is on the decline, yeah, and obviously like. Thinking from a business standpoint, like your, your staffing probably reflects that. Yeah, you get these positive reviews, all of a sudden business skyrockets. Were you it's guys ready for it?
2: We're ready. Oh yeah, we're okay. ready. Um, you know, I built. You know, built, it's part of building your team and making things. You know, you always got to be ready. Um, and the restaurant group we worked for, it was a great group. It was called the Clyde's Restaurant Group, and they're they're very professional and organized and structured, which I loved. You know, um. 'Cause I you know, I crave that structure and that organization from like the and so once it once it came off, like, you know, we we made sure we were ready for it and uh they when I say structured and organized professionalism was like they pounded into you, you know? Like a lot of restaurant culture is like not that professional. It's like you get get the job done no matter what it takes. This was like we're gonna do it the right way, we're gonna treat our employees right, we're gonna treat our chefs right. And uh, so I kinda built a team based around their structure and I was able to really like be successful with it and I loved it.
1: And does that do you think that comes more with the the restaurant groups as opposed to an individual restaurant? Cuz I've kind of heard like the It
2: can come from both. Okay. It can come from it comes from the leader whoever's at top, you know. Okay. Like Baco is super professional and organized cuz Luciano that's who he is as a person. Right. You know. But there's other restaurants, like if you own a restaurant and you just you can let it fall by the wayside if it's like so individually person focused if it's all based on one person. You know, um, that's how Kanabaco was based on that one person, Luciano, who reigned supreme and he was the super organized professional, you know, person. And then as opposed to Clyde's restaurant group, my other main, you know, main job I've had in my life where no, no one person mattered. You're part of a, co- you're part of like an organization. You're part of a structure. One person falls off, you replace that person into the system. It's kind of like, there's a much different way of seeing things. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a positive way, yeah, in a good way. Okay, so
0: back from DC, you come back, you back, come back to Detroit, or you go somewhere else in between?
2: Came back to Detroit after like seven and a half years in DC, um, and uh, Luciano kind of lured me back. You know, wanted me to be part of the Renaissance of the city, so kind of came back, saw what was happening, and wanted to open a restaurant. I had this concept in my head, you know, this She Wolf concept, you know, contemporary Italian food and. So it came back and kind of got that started. Why she will? Why the name? Well, the story of Romulus and Remus. You know, story of from Star Trek. No, no, it's from. <laughs> it's a nerd joke. For it's Roman mythology. Yeah. It's a nerd joke. Yeah, I got it though.
0: Go through the story. Roman mythology.
2: So, uh, Romulus and Remus were twins, abandoned by their parents, floated up a river in a basket. Saved by a wolf, a mother wolf who, where they, you know, kind of suckled on the teats of the wolf, and she kind of raised them into adolescence, and they grew up to be men, and went on to found Rome. And uh, Romulus killed Remus, named Rome after himself, and uh, in Rome, lots of wolf art, lots Mm -hmm. of she-wolf art. The she-wolf statue is very famous. Lots of Romulus and Remus art, lots of wolf graffiti and stuff like that. So. Kind of in August, I spent a month in Rome, just like underground. Went there, got an Airbnb in the hood for like ten dollars a night. Rented a scooter, like was going to markets in the morning and meeting people and like smoking hash and like hanging out (laughs) with like all the Romans, like the underground Romans, you know. And then like hanging out with them at night and then going to work with them in the morning. Staged at a bunch of restaurants, but like really wanted to bury myself in Roman culture. And that's kind of where we came up with the, you know, with the name. And that that
0: kind of desire to to learn. So uh, across this whole interview right now, as we've been talking tonight, the desire to learn has been really like the the unifying thread. Is that something, like, is this something that you were born with? Like, you've always wanted to learn more about? Yeah, very curious
2: person, you know. I love learning. I mean, everybody. I think everybody does. I mean.
0: I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't. I don't know if someone's opening a concept and, and going to Rome like the underground out, like really getting involved in the yeah. culture before they open a restaurant, right? I mean, th- that's a that's a huge uh, benefit for for like for you as a, as a restaurateur to to before you open your place,
2: yeah, because I mean, you have a really clear vision of what you want. I have a very clear vision. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much know what I, you know, what what I want this restaurant to be. I know what the kind of food that I want to serve every day, you know, and uh, I think there's nothing like it in Detroit, and I'm re- I'm s- crazy excited. You know, we're in this phase now where we're not open. We're not going to be open until beginning of June, probably, but we're really starting to, like, lock down a lot of the final details, and it is so exciting. You've been doing pop-ups, though. Oh, my God. So many pop-ups.
0: Yeah, so so let's talk about that for a second. So you, you obviously, are are you playing with dishes now, or are they... Pretty much finished, and you're, these are
2: dishes that will show up on the menu eventually. We're pretty much ready to go with the menu. We've, okay, we've. What about cocktails? Cocktails are going to be a spritz-heavy menu, you know, low ABV kind of spritzes. Told you, I told you to
1: have recipes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we want to like, uh, you know, craft cocktails don't really go with Italian food as much as we want. We want like spritzes in the beginning of your meal, fruit-forward, sparkling kind of. from a pepper Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Spark that appetite. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, we're going to be wine heavy, you know.
1: Good coffee program. We have
2: Mindy Lopez, who is our GM Psalm. She came from Bella Piatti and Tallulah, Birmingham. She's like a wine, you know, she's awesome. So she's crafting our wine list. And the lady Psalms are like taking over the world. Lady SOMs are the best kind of Psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, ladies in general need to run everything, <laughs> in my opinion. And uh, so, yeah, we. Pop-ups are. Let me talk about pop-ups. My house is ruined. My kitchen is ruined. <laughs> my car is ruined. My car smells like freaking short ribs and rapini. <laughs> you know, there's worse things to smell like though. True. I mean, yeah. you know. True. <laughs> pop-ups are hard. Don't ever let anybody tell you that any different. I, I I can't wait to have my own kitchen. Said yeah.
0: Joe, who like
1: invites me to do a pop-up like every other
0: month. Well, I, I was gonna say we we had Jesse not on here. Corktown Jesse uh, last year, and he was known for the pop up. Yeah, and he would do he would do them every
2: week. Yeah, two two or three a week. It's Crazy Holy shit. Yeah, that's God not bless, a way to make. God bless him. <laughs> Man, you don't even make money after the ten ninety nines, and you fucking take take all your texts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh bullshit. <laughs> but I get you. Got to get the word out though, right? Yeah, it's I all mean, about. That's yeah. what it's good for. It's good for <laughs> PR. It's good for, and you, it's good for playing with dishes. But you, you're kind of limited because you're like. You know, you, you gotta make this. If you're in your own kitchen, you got the world at your finger to every ingredient you need at your finger because you're in your kitchen. You know, you make better decisions right. as opposed to when you're at your house and you're like, "Fuck, I don't have any more olive oil left." <laughs> guess I use Crisco. I guess, right. I'm, I guess I'm going to fucking Harbortown Market and buying a fucking forty dollar. You know, it's bullshit. <laughs> Fuck pop ups. <laughs> so your location
0: uh, on Selden is kind of, uh, um, it's, it's a. Up and coming area, right? It's it's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy what's happening. So you're pretty close to Southern Standard. Yeah, and yeah. Um, also the shipping company over that way. Yeah, it's just it's about to open pretty
2: soon, I think. Yeah,
1: Jim Brady's is opening someday too, maybe. Jim Brady's? I thought that's what what's across the street from Peterborough. I don't know the Founders, yeah. right? Founders is over there too. No, that's, down there, that's yeah, that's that's back in that corner, but yeah. I yeah. thought the that the that Chinese building across the street from Peterborough was going to be dropping all kinds
0: of rumors tonight.
2: You're that like one I thought that king.
1: was I don't know. Maybe Nick's not. opinions where'd are not the it? opinions
2: of her podcast. You <laughs> <laughs> Send your complaints to Nick at herdpodcast.com. like got a burner phone where he like has his like food. Room. Hold on, there is a new one coming. <laughs> um.
0: So what's the build? So build out. Um.
2: Is there going to be a lot of uh, wolf imagery inside the restaurant? Uh. Not really. No. no. We we contemplated, like, a couple statue things. Probably be a little bit, but not crazy, you know? P.F. changs ask. We're going to explain the story of the wolf on the menu, you know? Because so, people are going to be curious about where the name comes from, sure. you know, clearly. And, uh, you know, you're going to be able to see the pasta room, like I said. You'll be able to see the mill. And we'll have somebody in there at, every night because we're going to make raviolis to order. So ravioli order comes in. Wow. We sheet it. We pipe it. We make it to order. Pass it on the thing. Yeah, really? Yeah, it's very doable. It's not hard. (laughs) I mean, it's probably going to be hard as fuck to figure it out.
0: So you have some. Can we
1: let's record that? Let's record that (laughs) clip. That out. You're going to have a
0: ravioli station then. Is that that what I'm hearing? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, like one one guy is going to hate you. Going to that guy's cuss you out at the end of the fucking night. (laughs) That guy's going (laughs) to be my best friend. (laughs) Job pays two hundred thousand a year. What? (laughs) Uh Okay, so even though you hate them, are there any more pop-ups happening before oh. the restaurant mm-hmm. opens?
2: Well, we have Savor, which is uh, at uh, our magazine oh, at, the, uh, at the Great, uh, Great Lakes, Lakes. Yep. Yeah. Great Culinary Center. Yep. When's that? That's next Monday, the twenty third. Okay. And I'm doing that with my buddy uh, Sal- Salvatore Ferro, who's an Italian chef who works in D.C. Nice. He's one of my best friends. We're flying him in for it. Okay. And uh, he's originally from Gross Point. Grew up as on the east side, but then moved to D.C. He has never worked in a restaurant in, in Michigan. He's been traveling, but trying to get him back to Michigan, you know. So like planting some seeds, you know, awesome. He comes back. That's that's pretty awesome. Um, he's going to be making ravioli. Yeah, <laughs> he's going to make ravioli. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, yeah, that's about it.
0: And then you just to push to the to, push to open. The open, yeah. So the open is you're hoping for early June. Is that what, is that what we're hearing? It's definitely
2: going to be June. Definitely June, okay. early June, probably maybe second week of June. But we're the, we're ready. I mean, the build-out's going great. So awesome. Yeah. Well, best of luck. Thank you,
0: Anthony Lombardo. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. Until next want, time. Quick
1: what? quick shout out for where you can find on social media. Oh yeah, Trying
2: SheWolfDetroit.com. dot com. Yeah. honest. she wolf. Where Detroit? else? At she wolf Detroit. And at yeah at Lombardo a eighty two is my personal, but you don't need to. <laughs> get she wolf Detroit on
0: Instagram. She wolf Detroit.
2: At she wolf Detroit. Yeah.
0: On Instagram too. Instagram yep. everywhere, all over, all over. She Wolf Detroit. Yeah, Anthony Lombardo. Thanks for being with us. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Until next time, <laughs> dine well, friends.